All right, you're uh, you're up. Give it to us. Okay, maybe you're will, and I might die, that a mishap not come after me, and may I not stumble in a matter of law. Plural. Plural. Yeah. Start that again. The mis- maybe you're willing to deny my God that mishap not come about through us. And may we not stumble in a matter of law and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. May we not say regarding something that which is to may that is to whore, and not regarding something which is to whore that is to may. May our colleagues not stumble in a matter of law and we rejoice over them. Right on I grant wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Unveil my eyes that we may perceive wonders from the Lord Torah. Amen. Thank you very much. So, do you like it? I do like it. I do too. Yeah. I do too. We, uh, my wife and I have this. Is that uh, the leather band? No, no, no. I actually went into the store and bought the leather band. Yeah. You know the the one. You know, yeah. but it changes the articulation point from here to the edge. Mm-hmm. So you know, it's got this little tiny deal, and you come there, and it come back. Yeah. And it was really easy to put it on. Yeah. But I didn't like the way it articulated over there. So the guy said, "Hey, you get three weeks. Try it. You don't like it? Bring it back." Don't mean to so, brag, but I have a little band. It's nice. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> they have one like that too. Um, I think I'm leaning towards the Melanese loop. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, but I, I love it. You know, Alan and I have this agreement that you know when we're talking to one another, we're not going to react to the sounds and stuff like that from our phones. <laughs> so now that we've got the watches, the honeymoon is over. You know, you, you had a week to get used to the sounds from the watch. So right. when the thing dings or or Electrocute your arm or taps, whatever it is, you know, don't immediately in front of my face do right. that. So I'm working on that side because mine's all a training thing because I'm giving a class on it. I want to you know, know what I'm doing. I don't want to look like a yo yo. So, yeah. Anyway, I love it. Um, so, well, that's amazingly crooked. Uh, so, we're going to talk about Zechariah. I know that we, we kind of voted last time on which one was. Uh, oh, going the wrong way. Did the wrong way? Um, we were talking about which one was, uh, is that close enough? Close enough. Close enough, right. Um, we wanted to kind of dig a little bit deeper into it, and I just, you know, there's not not many classes left before we break for Jul- uh, for the July break, so I wanted to, uh, to look at one that would have some impact on this, and Chazal says that the Zexter here has more messianic references than any other of the Treosar. I believe it. And sure, I mean, it's the one that we all, you know, can quote from, little tidbits and so forth. Well, and there, I was reading through it today, and there are little pieces that I didn't even remember were there. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, that's yeah. an interesting illusion. Yeah, and there was a couple of things where I went, oh, was that Zechariah? I thought that, you know, and I right. thought it was some other one, you know, so. Um, so my goal tonight is just for us to get an overview. I want us to be able to break down the book into its respective parts and understand what's in each area and uh, there's some curious things and there's some some background info and timing and stuff so I want to bring that out to light and we'll just talk about it a little bit and uh, and it will dig a little bit deeper into whichever one of the parts three parts um, that you want to look at next week I'm, I'm making an assumption it will be um, the third one chapters 9 through 14 but I may be wrong about that so Let's uh, let's get started. Uh, here's your eight, four, and two. Nah, that's gonna drive me nuts. I can't. Do that. Um, eight, four, and two. There are eight visions, chapters one through six. And uh, those guys all one night, amazing. And then um, four messages, chapters seven and eight. And I thought those were interesting. Um, and when I when I read uh, 
the, the Treasar book, by the way, that uh, Archibald puts out does not do Zechariah. It only does nine of the 12 in volume one. Volume two is not out yet. Oh, that version. Now, I have the old school Art Scroll version that has all of them. It really? does have Zechariah. Oh, I may need to borrow that. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know where volume two is. Um, but I have the prophets from uh, Art Scroll, the, the blue one. Right. The and the, this is different. This is their old, you know, they had like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just the same, it's the same size as the little Treasure book is now, right? Uh, mine style difference, big big type, but anyway, yeah, it's kind of like it's the old commentary. I can't remember which one it's called. It is put out by Ark Scroll, but I don't. It's like part of their Tanakh series. Yeah, it's the it's the one from ways back, yeah. and it's not leather bound or anything like that. Yeah, so uh, I've got the Zechariah one. And, you know, the, you know, I get I get this much in one of those big volumes on Zechariah. So I'm just having a blast reading through here. So uh, the eight visions, uh, we'll we'll talk about those. That's. Uh, we have four horsemen, we got four horns, we got four of this, you get two of that, and all we that. We got four chariots, a lot yeah. of horses. Yeah, so we're going to go through that a little bit tonight and talk about those. The four messages uh, are basically um, some folks show up from Babylon and go, looking for a ruling here. Do we still keep the, the fasts? Especially since they all have to do with the temple. Um, I thought that was interesting because I thought that. I knew why why those were there, but I thought we did them because of the second temple. They actually instituted them from the first temple, mm -hmm. and then they reinstituted them from the second temple. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then the two oracles, um, which if you read uh, John Wolvert, who was the uh, president of uh, Dallas Theological Seminary for a long time, or uh, J. Vernon McGee was on the radio. Uh, the Bible, Gateway to the Bible, or something like that. Uh, they all say that uh, the first oracle is Messiah's first coming, and the second oracle is Messiah's second coming. And uh, I thought that was pretty interesting stuff there. So, hmm. so here's a couple of curious tidbits that uh, I found. Uh, Adonai Tzedaot, uh using the Tanakh a bunch of times, primarily though, uh, in the in the prophets, Jeremiah wins out with 71 times. In our book, Zechariah has it 53 times in 14 chapters. That's that's big. And then Isaiah comes in uh, third with 50. The next one is barely 20. So these three are top shelf. And uh, we already mentioned uh, that his main visions at the beginning, uh, chapters one through six. We're all in one night. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that they use that name for Hashem because that, if you, in the book of Zechariah, um, God, the, the portrayal of God uh, kind of oscillates between um, this Angry, very, well, loving, compassionate, um, taking uh, restorative back, yeah. um, uh, figure with. Um, Angry does not really do it justice. I mean, we're talking like he is like warlord, like he's wiping everybody out, taking he's punishing people, names. both his own people and the nations. Yeah. He's punishing the nations for punishing his people. I mean, he's it's an intense book. Yeah. Some of the stuff well, he talks about the way the way that Hashem is described can be a key to whether he's talking about before, now, or later. The question about later would be 
later, later, or really later, right? Right. So, and it reminds me a lot of the portrayal of God in the book of Revelation. There's a lot of similarities. We're going to talk about that. And if you don't have a Tanakh or an electronic version of some of the scriptures, um, go grab one there because we are going to be looking at some references here in a second. So Zechariah means uh, Hashem remembers. Barachiah, his father, uh, means Hashem blesses. And Edo, his grandfather, uh, often to refer to as his father, but that's normal, uh, means the appointed time. Um, and there's more Messianic prophecies according to Chazal than any of the other traits are. That's pretty cool. All right? So um, most of the commentaries that I was looking at were making big of the names. It's like, doesn't this have something to do with the theme of what we're reading? You know? And did God just choose this guy because he, you know, he was good at bocce? Or, you know, prayers, or was it because he had a cool name, or was it the other way around? He had a cool name because God. Well, anyway. I all right, have back. To my bocce. That's <laughs> right. There you go. Um, Targum Lamentations uh, says that Zechariah was both a prophet and a priest. That's pretty cool, and I think there's several that we have in that genre. Um, Nehemiah twelve four. Uh, describes Edo as head of a priestly family, so that kind of fits with Zechariah being a priest. And then um, there's also intimations in Second Chronicles that Edo was a seer and that he was a prophet. And there's some question about whether it's the same Edo, but how many Edos do we really have? Um, and it could be, uh, certainly time-wise, right? Because remember that the Second the first half of this wall is where all of the prophets are, and Second Chronicles was after the uh, the, the reign of uh, the beginning of the kings. That wasn't until later, right? So could be, and if it was, um, there was uh, I think it was Radak or Radak uh, who said that uh, Zechariah's prophecies, even though he was a contemporary with uh, Haggai and Malachi, um, his prophecies were just really wild and spectacular because he was giving prophetic prophecies because he was came from a line of prophets so he kind of got a double unction kind of, if you will mm -hmm. um, I cannot remember what Ezra 5 and 6.14 say about a guy but it must mention anybody got it real quick we talked last week that a guy Malachi and Zechariah with the three prophets after the southern kingdom was exiled. And uh, 6.14 says, And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. There you go. They finished their building by decree of, of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Good. And the, other, the chapter 5 one is, um, When the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Jehozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. So. Good. So they're all working at about the same time. And uh, we'll, we'll talk uh, a little bit more about the kings that they, uh, foreign kings that they were dealing with. So. Zechariah gives the actual date of his prophecy, 
it looks like I missed a space there, 24 Shabbat. And uh, the sages say it's 59 days after the start of the temple construction, which you get from Haggai 2.18, was on the 24th of Kislev. Hmm. And if I were doing 24 Shabbat to 24 Kislev, I would have said 60 days, but hey, what do I know? You know, it's probably not inclusive, it's exclusive, or something like that. So, uh, Either way, two months. Yeah, specifically two months later. You, I've, I've often wondered whenever we encounter things like this where they give the exact date. Well, it's rare. I'm, I'm not aware of any other prophecy where he specifically says it was on exactly this date. Right. Sometimes it says the second year of this king or it was in the third month and something happened, but I, I nothing came to mind when I read that other than, ah, well, tell so, me exactly what day it is. What time was it when he came? Right. Out? So since like since everything is supposed to be important, I I mean, do you think like that should be significant? Think we should be marking marking our calendars and maybe? I don't know. Uh, the the sages, what they were saying was it was fifty nine days, and that's exactly how long they were under Persian rule. Fifty nine years. Hmm. Go figure. Well, and um, I mean, obviously, the twenty fourth Kislev. Is interesting, right? Because twenty-five. Because the following day is when we begin the celebration of Hanukkah, which is the rededication Dedication. of the temple. Yeah. And that holiday didn't get enacted until several hundred years later, right? So, um, so you have them building the temple, beginning construction. Yeah, they laid the foundation so on twenty-four. That twenty-fourth, twenty-fifth of Kislev, I would. Willing to bet donuts to dollars is a significant date, not only historically but prophetically as well. I agree. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I was just thinking on my way here. Like, it would be cool if you know Hebcal or or some of those other like Jewish calendar things would add every reference date because we I, we started doing that with like Exodus and some of the others, like where it's like. It'll say very specifically, like in the, so the second know, month, the first day. Of exactly. The so yeah. you know exactly the day. Oh, it yeah. was so fun because we would get calendar appointments. We would be like, "The children of Israel cross the Red Sea today." Yeah, you know, you're just, just kind of like, "Whoa, that's so cool!" Yeah, just, but I didn't. Know, I mean, that would be so neat if there was something out there like that that just had. He's like, "Here, read this reference because yeah. this happened today." Yeah. Very you know? cool. Very cool. Good. Very good indeed. Now this is interesting. Hello. Good to see you. Good to see you, please. You want to go up? You want to stay here? It's up to you. Come sit. Hey, guys. Hey. 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 Good to see you. Good to see you. I'm staying. Hey, Gabby. 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 Hey, Gabby.
in the temple between such and such and this day. And, and come on. The Bible actually says in Second Chronicles that Zechariah, son of Jehoiada, was killed in the temple. He got the guy wrong. Okay. The king of the universe got the name wrong. I don't think so. So, uh, Josephus says that Zechariah, son of Bacchus, the way he puts it in his uh, Roman stuff, uh, was killed in the temple. And that certainly was not this Zechariah. That was closer to a, that Zechariah, right? And uh, read the uh, Targum, uh, Lamentation 120. See, O Lord, and observe from heaven against whom you turn. This, thus is it right for the daughters of Israel to eat the fruit of their wombs due to starvation. Lovely children wrapped in fine linen. When did that happen? That was the first thing. Yeah, it's when they were surrounded and uh, they under siege, right? And then you got the, the was it the, the lepers that found that there was food and they had been run off? Anyway, the attribute of justice replied and said, Is it right to kill a priest and prophet in the temple of the Lord as when you killed Zechariah, son of Edo, the high priest and faithful prophet in the temple of the Lord on the day of atonement because he told you not to do evil before the Lord? So clearly, the... Uh, the people of God understood that that guy was killed. No, no, that's confusing me because the the association is two different temples, right? Because that temple is when it's being destroyed is when they have the, the starvation, the siege. But Zechariah is over here after they come back from Babylon. When they were building the second one. Right. So it's an interesting... He was in the second one that he was killed. Hmm. So it's interesting that the Targum chose to, to pull those two together. Like it's almost like um, the Lamentations comment is almost arguing like why did you punish the past generation? And he's oh, it's almost like the argument back is well, did you see what you guys just did? Exactly. Yeah. Now there is another argument here to take a look at, um, but oh, there it is. Second Chronicles twenty four twenty and twenty one. Um, could somebody read that one? Because in case somebody says, yeah, your Bible's all messed up. It's the wrong Zechariah. And the guy you're calling the Messiah doesn't know those new people. I got it. What's that? The Spirit of God came over Zechariah, son of Jehoiada the Cohen. He stood above the people and said to them, Thus said God, Why are you transgressing the commandments of Hashem? You will not succeed, for you have forsaken Hashem, so he has forgot, forsaken you. But they conspired against him and stoned him with rocks by the command of the king in the courtyard of the temple of Hashem. So he's in the courtyard of the temple, and who killed him? They. Who is the they? <laughs> it's not an indefinite pronoun reference. Who was it? The people. The people did. Okay. So, can somebody give me Matthew twenty-three thirty-five? Who is it that uh, Yeshua is lambasting? He's, he's, he gets into a. Uh, yeah, we got a lady with us now. A frank discussion. <laughs> frank discussion. Well done. With, well done. Uh, certain of the scribes and Pharisees yes. and Sadducees, and they're in Solomon's Colonel. colonnade, right. as it were. And um, that's the whole thing of, Whoa, you know, Jim. wait a minute. You know, he makes the statement, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. Wait a minute, you're not even 50 years old. How could you say Abraham saw you? Yeah. And he says, oh, before, um, before he, before Abraham, before was. Abraham, I, 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 I was, was right. I, 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 
<clears throat> and they pick up stones to, to try to stone him before she yeah. escapes. You bet. Um, so what's this, do you have it? Yeah. What's, uh, what's he so say on, to him? So on that day, you may come all the righteous blood. On you may come. Oh, yeah. On you. Okay. Here, let me, I'll back up one, one verse here. Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous bloodshed on earth. From right. blood before, of before you give the, the, the list of who from A to Z, um, <laughs> who is he talking to? The preaching. The uh, scribes and Pharisees. The scribes and Pharisees, the same guys that were picking up the stones to stone. So from righteous Abel, from righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barachiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Bingo. So. It says some manuscripts omit the son of Barachiah. Yeah. But we already know the Zechariah that was killed in that temple was not killed by the priests and Pharisees and those folks. It was killed by the people. At the word of the king, they stoned him people stoned him. This Zechariah was killed by the priests when he said he stood up. Right? He told you not to do it. It's alright? So, Josephus has got it, Targum has got it, and the Lord knew it. It's pretty hard to believe um, when you read the book of Revelation where he's got names written souls under altars of people that actually gave their lives on his behalf. It's just hard to believe that he would get it wrong. Too much it, it almost wrong. makes him look more impressive because he's got like the he, he pulls out the um, like the, the footnote person almost like like the you know the um, you know the did you know <laughs> card uh as opposed to just listing off the guy that's in Chronicles, we all know about, he cites the one that's mentioned, it's more recent, and it's mentioned by the Targum and by Josephus. That's so right. it's it's a more, it's a fresher memory, so to speak. Exactly. It's interesting that uh, the Bible naysayers are like, the only Zechariah that was killed is the guy in Second Chronicles. And he wasn't killed by the priests or the scribes or the Pharisees or anything like that. And he wasn't in the temple proper. And that's interesting. Where did he get killed? Between the sanctuary and the, uh, the san altar and the sanctuary. Yeah. Which is actually... No man's land for anybody but the priest. Right, but it's actually still in the... It's still in the courtyard. Yeah, well, it's all, all in the courtyard if right. you're not in the building itself. Right. But only that's in the priest court. You can't get in there. Now, you come up. Do your deal. They take it and they do their deal on the altar. Right. So it's uh, it's unlikely that it was the people killing this guy in that particular spot. Hmm. So I, I the naysayers the naysayers were, were, were like well, another Zechariah was killed here. This is the only one that's mentioned. Well, that doesn't mean another Zechariah wasn't killed. I mean, essentially think about the setup of the tabernacle and the temple, you had the you had the altar and then the only thing else between the altar and the entrance into the actual holy place the was the laver, which 
is where you wash to purify yourself, and yet in that very place, yeah, you know, they commit you know, the most impure act. That's yeah. exactly right. So back to some of the detail we were talking about, the visions seem to, I mean, it sounded all like, like Daniel and Revelation to me, you know, chariots and horsemen and, and this and that. Daniel talks about that. He's got the four-headed beast and so forth. Um, Revelation's got all kinds of stuff. Makes me think about Ezekiel. Yeah. yeah. Daniel, Ezekiel, and John are all apop apocalyptic stuff, and they all wrote outside the land. Daniel was born inside the land, but he wrote outside. He wrote his apocalypse outside. Zechariah was born outside the land, he wrote his Inside, he's the only one that wrote an apocalyptic vision inside the land. Interestingly enough, of those three apocalyptic writings, um, Daniel and John focus almost exclusively on big picture. They are not, they don't really talk about Israel very much. Most of their discussions are on the nations. Daniel's all about the Greece and the, the different kings coming later and what they're going to do, kingdoms. Right. And, um, those, and those kingdoms are controlling Israel. Right. And John is thinking mostly global. He has the one chapter there about um, the, the woman and the dragon and the woman is Israel and he has the one chapter, chapter there about um, about Jerusalem and some of the activities that happened there. But most of the rest of his vision is about global ca catastrophes and destruction of Babylon, etc. Um, Zechariah is the opposite. Zechariah's vision is almost exclusively related to Jerusalem and how the nations come to Jerusalem. Exactly. Um, do you do you think this has anything to do with that? I, I think it could. It's the fact very that he's actually there. Right? And, it, and it also makes me wonder then if that's one way to help better overlay the books. Because I think sometimes when you read Daniel, Ezekiel, and Zech and John and Zechariah, their prophecies there's parallels, but it's it's like I think I mentioned before. It's like it's like getting all your best best hits on shuffle, and it's like trying to figure out where the pieces fit together is really hard. Um, but if you think about that, where it's like perspective from Jerusalem looking out versus perspective from out looking in, yeah. I think that might help better overlay the pieces. That's why I think this is important. Plus, Zechariah, some of the overlay stuff is also a different perspective on the same thing, like with uh, like the Four Horsemen. Right. Where, whereas the Four Horsemen in Revelation are looking global. The same four horsemen seem to appear in early Zechariah, but they focus on two specific entities. It's almost like, this is like round one of the four horsemen, and Revelation is like round two, that could, kind of thing. Could be. My desire would be in the next week or two that we, we actually delve into some of those. I don't think we're gonna have time to do um, both the eight visions and the two oracles. So we're probably going to have to flip a coin and, and choose which ones we want to dig into. Uh, I think it would be neat to be able to look at any, either one of those and say, yeah, this did happen here or shortly after it, but it could happen again. Or this clearly did not happen, therefore it must happen in the future. I would love to be able to, you know, just kind of put those on magnets and just kind of move them around and try and get them in some kind of a chronological order. I think that would be uh, delightful. A little bit more background. 
you know, you should know now he was one of the last prophets to speak to God's people. And there we've got what the uh, what uh, most people would call the 400 years of silence, right? Intertestamental period. Right? <laughs> yeah, so you've got your last prophets, this guy, and Haggai, and Malachi. And then, you know, Malachi kind of closes out. It's not with, you know, actually Second Chronicles closes out of the prophets. Malachi just waiting on Elijah. And then you, you don't get anything more until after we get that Hanukkah thing and so forth. We've got the contemporary. He prophesied, and this is important, he prophesied during the reign of Darius II, not Darius I. Cyrus and Darius I, who was called the Mede, are the ones that conquered Babylon, right? Cyrus started, and then uh, Darius the Mede, that's where you get the Medo-Persian rule, right? That's the Mede. That's Daniel's time period. But precisely, yeah. And Daniel is just ever so slightly before Zechariah. Just ever so slightly. But Darius' son, Darius II, was the Persian, right? And because I'll say that Darius II was actually the son of Ahasuerus and Queen Esther. Now, is that true? No idea, but pretty cool. Why would they say something like that? Well, the timing works out pretty great, because where is Esther, right? They're in the Babylonian exile. Yeah. They were one of the ones that did not come back. So Darius is really Jewish. That's, see, that's the key. And they say, well, of course. he did. Now, this guy gave the decree to, to go rebuild, back. to go back and to rebuild yeah. Jerusalem. This guy, the Jew maybe, gave the ruling to go ahead and rebuild the temple. Mm. So, pretty cool. Don't, don't know if he was, but I can play that card during any kind of uh, Bible tri trivia thing. That sounds good. <laughs> Next cocktail party. Yeah, Darius. You know, Esther's son. <laughs> right? And then... I think this is this is noteworthy, and we probably will talk about it, right? Because we have at the mountain where Moses receives two Torahs, correct? He receives one that the people say, all that the Lord has said we will do, and they have another one that they said, we will do all of these, or they were written down, or something like that. There's two, right? And this, of course, we know as the written in the oral Torah. And then that was passed to Joshua, and Joshua to Samuel, and so forth. And you know, we go all the way down the down the road, or uh, through the chain of procession. Right? But once you get through here, you've you you got what are called the men of the great assembly right here before you get to the zugot, the pairs. And I never thought about. The men of the great assembly, which, by the way, in the Talmud, I think you can actually read who they are in, in order. It's pretty incredible. But I didn't realize that Zechariah was one of the men of the great assembly. So cool. was Mordecai. Yeah. So you've got you've got these men of renown that are very highly respected and closer to the original giving of everything. So I, I just I don't know. I just thought that was pretty cool. Very so we should remember as also Ezra, right? Yeah. Ezra leads yeah. the great assembly, yeah. right? Yeah. And uh, Ezra's man, you want to read a, a description of a guy and and hope that you can live up to be a godly man. Well, there's the description. 
Ezra really is really the father of Judaism as we know it. As we receive it. I think that's true. Because coming back from from the Babylonian captivity post you know, post uh, by Yishon, Ezra is really the one that says man, we can't do that again. Right? So we've got to make sure the people know the commandments. We've got to make sure there's a system in place right. where we educate the people where, you know, so really the whole you know, the whole synagogue system yeah, kind of comes out of that. Public reading, explanation. Right. You bet. Um, and, and, and then um, you know, the idea of building the fences and that sort of thing. I yeah. think it really kind of starts there. But I think we've got an enabler and a provider, really. And, and you, you see that earlier, but uh, with Nehemiah and Ezra, I mean, they're just like a team. Where Nehemiah is getting the people to do what they need to do, and Ezra's bringing that spiritual component in to say, well, while we're doing that, we need to not forget this, because this is just as, if not more important, than what we're doing there. Um, it's just astonishing stuff. And I think it sort of led to that whole pair thing going on where you've got two folks um, that are going to step up. All right, well, let's look at some specifics here. Uh, we talked about the four horns at one point, and just to kind of whet our appetite here, um, Daniel 7.24, Revelation 17.12, these horns are pretty clearly Gentile nations. And these are the horns that are going to come against the nation of Israel, the land and the people. And they are outside. They're, they're, they're goyim. So anybody got those two references? Make sure they mess up there. Daniel 7, I believe, is uh, four horns came out of this beast that came out of the water, and then uh, another horn grew up on one of the other horns. It's that whole thing if you're... I've got the Daniel... What do you got? 724. 724. And the ten horns. From the kingdom, ten kings will arise, and another one will rise up after these, who will be different from the former ones. And he will humble three kings. He will speak words against the supreme one, and he will exhaust the holy supreme ones, and he will plan to alter the seasons and the law. And they will be given over to into, in, into his hand until a time, and times, and time and a half. Yeah, there you go. So... It's obvious these are and other nations, right? And Revelation 17, 12? Uh, the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. That doesn't sound anything like what Johnny just read. Hmm. <laughs> wow. Well, it's similar. It's the idea being that horns refer to some sort of authority, kingdom, king. Gentile king. Yeah, these are bad guys. Gentile king. So Interestingly here. enough, Johnny's math lines up well with this because his Daniel says there's ten horns. That's not four. But then three are nudged out by one, which adds up to four. Which is especially intriguing because in the Judeo tradition and how you kind of look spiritually, so to speak, at the four kingdoms that rule over Israel during this time period, Babylon, Persia, and Greece are all eventually overthrown in turn by Rome who is the one kingdom that essentially endures in its own various 
forms. Even to now. Yeah. That was what I was going to say on that second point. Thank you. Oh, sorry. Well, go <laughs> Minus to the third two points point. for anticipation. Um, you know, no question. My point here was that horns are used more than just by this guy, and they're always dealing with Gentile nations. I don't know what translation you got, but I've got like, I don't know, 72 different translations in accordance. You know, some of them, you know, Swahili and, and weird stuff. Um, but just in the ones you've got on your electronic or, or paper devices now, what, what do you have for the smiths or carpenters or artisans? I, artisans, I, I felt like I was, you know, going through pop bands from the 60s, um, trying to figure out uh, whether they were carpenters, smiths, artisans, or craftsmen. This would be, I think, after the four horns, you've got these four. Is it Zechariah 2? Uh, no, this is, a, yeah, either two or three, I believe. I mean, our, our scroll is definitely carpenters. Carpenters, yeah. Which I'm actually kind of uh, confused. When I read Horns, I thought of uh, another passage in, in one of the major prophets where there's an altar with four horns on it, and there's a carpenter that comes and saws off the horns. Ooh. And there's a Rashi that says the carpenter is a picture of Messiah. Wow, I didn't so read that one. That's I, didn't, good. I didn't think of horns as of as the instrument, but as that. Oh, no, not, not a, yeah, not a, no, yeah. I put that to be funny. Oh, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was to say, I was like, man, I was really picking up the yeah. horns. No, no, no. Yeah. The horns, horns, horns being, being, uh, being the gentleness. Yeah. Well, the Hebrew word horns. is karanim, or karen, singular. Okay. Right, which is the same. It's also used to refer to Messiah as well. I mean, Let's you know, for example, in the prayers, right? I mean, we, we talk about um, the horn of, of salvation, yeah. um, uh, and it's the same Hebrew word there as well. But but yeah, the prophets mostly are referred using in reference to Gentile nations. Yeah. But carpenters is the Archbold translation. Which is really cool in light of the Rashi on that. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. the Rashi says that that the fourth is it the fourth carpenter, I think, yeah. is Messiah. Cool. Hmm. Yeah. That's kinda of, funny. So does anybody have another version? I have or? Craftsman. Craftsman, yeah. Okay, so Craftsman. Where is it? It's chapter one, verse twenty. One twenty. There you go. I forget how long chapter one is. These chapters are really short, and every now and again you can get like a, a heavier one. One is one of the longer ones. Um, that is in a Jewish publication. Two, three. Thank you. Two, verse three. Craftsman. Craftsman. Everybody got craftsman? Craftsman. Craftsman. Anybody, anybody got unicorn? <laughs> circus clown? No. All we got is carpenter or craftsman. All right, so. We move on. Ezekiel fourteen twenty one uh, has pretty much what he's got after this in that same uh, in that next vision. Um, fourteen twenty one in Ezekiel, anybody? talking about his four things that he sees. And I think I got him. I just want to make sure. So we found an evil and beast pestilence. Makes me think of Pesach. And is it really beast pestilence or is it lice or gnats or something? What do you got? So thus said the Lord uh, Adonai Elohim, How much more when I send all of my four evil judgments, sword, hunger, ferocious beast, and pestilence, against Jerusalem to cut off it from man and animal? So sword, hunger, what was that? 
sword hunger, ferocious beast, and ferocious beasts. Oh, I, I left out my comment. One, two, three. Yeah, I left out my comment after beast. But ferocious beasts and pestilence. So uh, Revelation has a similar four things in uh, in verse in chapter six. Anybody give me that one there real quick? That one uh, is the four horsemen. One comes with a crown and is is given to conquer, and he's a conqueror. And the red horse removes peace, right? Or uh, and he's given a sword to remove peace. So I thought the swords are pretty cool. And then famine, uh, I think, is what the white horse or the red horse or the was there a green horse? It was a pale green horse. It's called. It goes by pale. It's, pale. it's actually a very poor translation. It's literally green. If you look it up it's the like way that it's used, color. if you use it, if you look up the. Um, if you look up the Greek word that's used for pale in that Revelation passage, it's also used to define grass. So okay. it's like it's like a pale green, pale not green. a forest green, but a light good, green. Good, good. And then, and then the, uh, the which is interesting. Not that this really is relevant to Zechariah per se, but the four colors horsemen in Revelation, oddly enough, each are a color taken by Islam, which is kind of funny. That's pretty cool. Okay. There's another cocktail party opportunity. And the Irish flag. <laughs> Well, and the yeah. Irish flag, how about that? Okay. The difference, though, Which, is that in the case of Islam, they also represent like the different caliphates throughout history. So it was, um, yeah. it's a very interesting, I don't know if it has any relevance, but yeah. it's intriguing. It's, it's ironic, if nothing else. Yeah, especially with our class a couple of years ago, where uh, Ken. the anti-Ken uh, and then uh, uh, Ryan, Ryan about said Babylon. the, yeah. the um, anti-Messiah nation would not be, or anti the Messiah, the beast would not be Roman Catholicism, but rather would be Islam. Islam's getting, you know, pretty good vote for me right now. Although <laughs> this Pope, uh, you know, wow, he just wants to go down in history as being a, a really good guy. That's great. That's great. All right, questions or comments on that? I just, I just trying to bring out the fact that uh, both Daniel and Ezekiel have very, very similar type stuff. And, and again, it's, it's visions. And uh, I was reading uh, one commentary, it might have been Rashi, uh, who said, we, we will not know what all this means until Elijah comes. Mm -hmm. Because then the Messiah will be here. And he'll make everything known. Now this was astonishing to me when I read the measuring line, also measuring rod in some of your translations. I could only think of one place where a measuring line was in the scriptures. And then I thought, well, I better look it up. And when I looked it up, it turns out that measuring line is used all over the place. Uh, as early as 2 Kings, uh, talking about Samaria and Ahab acting as a measuring line for uh, the destruction of uh, the northern kingdom. And Jer Jeremiah uses the measuring line to talk about Jerusalem being rebuilt. In Lamentations, you've got the measuring line talking about Jerusalem being destroyed. In Ezekiel, three different times, he's speaking about the future when the temple will be rebuilt. Um, where's Ezekiel? Do you remember? Uh, Near the back of this half? Near the middle of this half? Or at the beginning of the half? 
He's definitely in this half, right? Yeah. Well, how do we know? Pre, pre How do we know that he's this side of this half? All the prophets are this half of this wall. There's no prophets on that wall. There's no prophets on any other wall, only on this wall and only on this half. So he's definitely on this half. Is he near the front? I count my gold by moving around. I'm sorry. Uh, after the kingdom split and uh, the golden calf is set up in Daniel. Is when you have Ezekiel, Ahab, and all those guys. Ezekiel's right up the front. Okay. Right after Elijah and Elisha, you have Ezekiel. Okay. So he's got several times, and he's talking about the temple being rebuilt. The temple hasn't been destroyed. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So his prophecy could be talking about. Zerubbabel and Nehemiah and Ezra and all those guys that came back. Or it could be talking about that one being rebuilt, which would be the third one, uh, which of course is where I would lean, because a lot of that stuff hadn't happened. Um, the river of life, where you've got water coming out from under the threshold, and it runs down over here, and then the, you know, the angel says, yeah, it's going to hit the sea, and it becomes fresh water. That's you know, within within a couple of chapters. So, obviously, a, a future thing since that river of life reference pops up in Zechariah as well, because at the end of the book, when when God's wiping out the enemies of Israel, all of a sudden there's this random reference about a river will flow out of like the Temple Mount, right? Which is which is that reference? Yeah, and then it's picked up again in Revelation. Exactly right. The yeah. last the chapter or two, right? Yeah. So uh, Amos, right? And we, we talked about Amos. He's closer to the front of the Treasar, right? And talking about the northern kingdom going to exile. Um, Amos, by the way, do you remember what his uh, occupation was? Shepherd, right? Farmer. Amos was a farmer. farmer. What did he? What did he tend? Goat. Big trees. Big trees. Big trees. Big trees. Very cool. What a job, huh? He gets to sit under his own fig tree even <laughs> before him. <laughs> then, of course, we have Zechariah talking about the temple being rebuilt in two different chapters, that whole measuring line. Notice again, not a real. Okay. Didn't want to be confusing, right? And then in Revelation, <laughs> we have the temple rebuilt, and you got the, the man God walking around uh, with the. Uh, with the measuring one. What do you think? Cool. It's there a lot. And astonishingly enough, it always has to do with either I'm measuring this to see how badly I can blow it up, or I'm measuring this to show that I own it, and I'm going to rebuild it bigger and better, faster, whatever it is. So not always dealing with the temple or Jerusalem itself. Well, what's, what's always amazing to me is just how consistent and common the threads between the prophets in Tanakh and Revelation are, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You know, um, you know, there's the, the old joke about the Baptist preacher lets the convinces the you know the Jewish rabbi to read the Book of Revelation, 
comes back a week later and says, did you read it? The rabbi says, the rabbi says yes. He said, well, what'd you think? And the rabbi says, I think you stole our book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? Because it's all very, it's so, the themes, the, the symbols, the yeah, metaphors, so the motifs are all Well, that was one of the things about when I was wrestling with back in college, like the legitimacy of the scriptures, authenticity of them, whatever else. It's one thing I had trouble getting away from, like really helped kind of cement the divine authorship of the whole thing, Genesis Revelation, is the consistency. And granted, I know that you can read it and write it in the spirit of whatever else of previous writing, Topics Revelation, way after Zechariah. But it's almost it's almost too subtle. It's like it's it, it's to the point where you almost wonder did the author even think about like how similar that was? But it's like it's more than just like cool catchphrases or, but it's themes and it's and it's imagery. But then it's like playing off the imagery, so it's not the exact same image. But it's like but it but it understands its actual idea, even if it's not doing the same thing. It's I really was, really well done. I was taught that uh, when any of these guys got their visions. They were colored by their history, their personal, the prophet's personal history and his personality. So they may be seeing exactly the same vision as some guy 500 years later, but their personal history and their personality is going to taint the way they see it and then the way they report it. Because it doesn't say that God used his spirit to turn these guys into robots or automatons. They wrote as they were moved by the Ruach HaKadosh. So they put their personality into it. And I don't have any problem. I mean, if you and I, I mean, it's just a legal matter, right? If there's more than one witness, they should never agree. And in fact, the sages would say in the Beit Din, if they do agree, toss them out. <laughs> They've got to have colluded with each other or, or they're lying, you know? so. I don't have any problem with the differences, and I love uh, the flavor it brings. It, it's just, I, I wonder, did John see the vision and color it with what he had memorized from the prophets? In the same way that Daniel is praying, having read Jeremiah. God, we're done. You said 70. You told him. I read him. He said 70. So that kind of same thing. He reads Ezekiel. Does he see and go, it looks just sort of like what I just read? You know, that kind of thing. So um, I would, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that the best way to study any book of the Bible is to memorize it. To start with. I mean, if you've got it memorized, you have now a God-given ability to piece everything together like you could never do if you're writing it down on little five, three by five cards and laying it out on the floor. You just can't do it as well as you can just in your mind. Stuff starts to connect together and you go, wow, check, oh, uh, do. And some of the greatest expositors have done that. The little subtleties of which you were speaking earlier, um, you don't see any of that in the Book of Mormon. No, I guess not. Yeah. It's, it's bizarre at best yeah. and a lesser one yeah. agree <laughs> <laughs> alright so I want to see if we've got some questions and talk about some specifics here um, let me see if I can't uh, zip back here to this one 
So the, uh, the eight visions, the four messages, and the two oracles are what I want you to walk away with tonight. And uh, I don't want to read seven and eight now, but let's just talk about that real quick. What's, what's your sense there? Guys come back from Babylon and say, hey, somebody read me the exact question, probably in seven, four, or seven, five. Uh, should I weep? Should I weep? Yeah. Yeah. Should I weep in the fifth month, separating myself as I've done these so many years? Right. Oh, so, yeah, yeah that it. is it. That is it. That's it's the first question. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the temple's been book. destroyed. Now I'm rebuilding the temple. So, is it still, right. do, I so still, do I still weep? Do I still do it? Right? So, so that means that the fast of the fifth month, for sure, if not the fourth, fifth, seventh, and the tenth, right, was already established. It was already a habit. And the astonishing thing to me is that we hear that the folks that got taken off the bad one really didn't do anything. Really didn't have a lot of faith. Got involved in the culture. They were told to build houses. They're going to be there a while. And they got assumed into the culture and disappeared. And yet, you've got some folks that are actually establishing and practicing some halakhic maneuvers so that they can mourn the destruction of the temple. So the question in my mind is, if that's true, maybe it gives a better light to the folks in Babylon. And then secondly, what was ultimately the answer? Not in the book yet, but halakhically for later on. Well, first off, in reference to your comment about the history there, um, Chabad.org has a great, for each of those fasts, has a great little breakdown of what happened on this day. And for each of them, there's an event that takes place in linkage to the Babylonian exile that sort of is the centerpiece for why we fast on this day. Whether do the breaching of the walls, the destruction yeah. of the, the start yeah. of the destruction of the temple, so on and yeah. so forth. Um, I think to me it also stands out as they're fasting whether in exile um, looking forward to this uh, time when it won't be that way and it reminds me of now as we're coming up on this time period again the big one the three weeks in July um, to to be thinking about like um, they were fasting in anticipation for it to no longer be a problem because I mean it is and, and they were in exile and they were in exile which is just like us just like us the, the astonishing thing to me, though, is that they're, they're doing that in spite of the fact that we now look back at them and, and, and have, I think, a, a lesser respect for the folks that didn't come back from Babylon. Because let's make it clear. The folks that came back from Babylon and rebuilt the, the city and rebuilt the temple are the ones the Babylonian exilees that are still in Babylon are coming to ask. You, you see where well, I'm coming no, from? It looks like the These ones are the guys that came from Babylon specifically to ask this question. Oh, I, I have Bethel had sent them to, to seek favor. Like, I was thinking they were inside Israel but not in Jerusalem coming to visit. Oh, I thought they were in Babylon. Did I misread that? King Pass in the fourth year of King Darius, the Lord of the Lord came from Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, even in. When Bethel Sarazar, which is a name, right? Right. Not a place. Not a city. And Wedamelech uh, uh, and his men had sent to entreat 
the favor of Adonai, speaking of the priest in the house of the Lord of hosts, which is prophet saying. Yeah, so now that's, to me, that's a king or something having to do with a king. This is some guy, I get the impression they were coming from outside, from Babylon. They may be. I was thinking it'd be ironic if they were some of the ones who came back. So it's like, if you want to be the ones that go back to the land when you're allowed to, fast during the fifth, seventh, ninth, you know, remember the bad stuff because was, they're the ones who came back. That was my first thought was the guys that were fasting and praying on those times were the ones that came back and now they're being given the privilege of actually rebuilding. But that was, in my mind, was denied by this. Could be. Thinking they're coming from Babylon. So I think either one is possible. But now I have a problem. If the guys that came to ask are actually still living in Babylon, why are they still living in Babylon? Why don't, why didn't, why, if they came all the way, why didn't, just to ask the question, why didn't they pack up and move? <laughs> well, for the same reason that there's still lots of Jews that haven't made all that. But visit often. But visit all the time. But visit often. Okay. Send, I, can, I can work with send that. send emissaries yeah. to counsel with. Okay. You know. I, I can work with that. So, so now, I, I would like to hear what you would tell them. And then we'll look at what the, they were told by the Lord through Zechariah. What would you tell them? Do you still have to fast? you got a temple now. Well, I, I would have, I mean, I would like to think that the idea is it's, it's a fast to where things are fixed. Because Ezekiel, of course, is prior to this. And as you pointed out, Ezekiel's prophecy is not going to be fully fulfilled. Um, and there seems to be this it's like we're it's like we're almost there but not yet and um, so I think that like this time period seems to indicate like this idea that yeah, no, the fasting's not done because the temple's rebuilt but Israel's not restored we're missing part of the puzzle Messiah's not here there's, 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 there's the final culmination that hasn't happened yet I get that but that was never part of those four fasts those four fasts were for Jerusalem and the temple so, although Tishba is linked also to the, the um, golden calf of the spies, um, it, just in in keeping in line with Zechariah, the the name remembering, um, I, I think it's appropriate because yes, even though the temple has been restored, um, we're still not in the final redemption. Um, you know, there's there's a lot in the Torah specifically about remembering. Remember what Amalek did to you. That we read, read the six remembrances after Shacharit each day. So there's a lot about remembrances and those... It's like, but those are not in. Exactly. But I'm just saying that those... There's a lot of emphasis that God has placed on, you know, emphasizing and, and remembering. I get that, things. but those are not in it. So, if it were me, I would have said, no. There's Temple, no reason Temple's to fast back, anymore. Do anymore. Let's... Let's feast on those days because he has given us back the opportunity to come into the land and to serve him and it's our land and we got a temple now. What was God's answer? First off, he smacks him around a little bit. He's like, why were you doing all that? That's right. right. I mean, were, you, were you doing that with the right motive? I mean, you got the ritual, remember, but what about the heart? So, what you were, yeah. what got you doing those things in the yeah. first but place? But then, interestingly enough, in chapter 8, when he says they will be turned into beasts, he specifically speaks in future tense. Precisely. Which is intriguing because, of course, these guys are coming, or they're coming from Babylon, or they're coming from another part of Israel. They're obviously not in Jerusalem. 
they're coming to visit to inquire of the Lord, what are we supposed to do? But the implication from chapter 8 is people in Jerusalem were maintaining the fast. In other words, the, the guys come up, they're like, you have a question, the guys in Jerusalem are probably thinking, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that one. You know, it's like, yeah. so, but then God's response indicates the fasting never stopped, even by the ones who rebuilt the temple. I don't know about that. I think what it does indicate is that they will be turned into times of gladness and feasting and so forth. And maybe that could have been a, a, a near prophecy that was fulfilled in the prophet's day that they were turned into fasting and, and joy. I don't know. I need to look at some history here. In the days of the Zugot, did they do those? I don't know. Because it could have been that happened. And the men of the Great Assembly decided, okay, instead of fasting, we will feast. Because we've got our temple back, God's in our midst, the whole deal. Could be. It could be that that happened, whether it did or not, is irrelevant, because we know we're fasting now because we're in the same boat that they were in before it got... Uh, before it got destroyed. But it is interesting that he does not answer the question flat out with yes or no. It's more like, well, let's talk about what you did in the first place and how were you doing it. And you've been doing it for a while. It's interesting that I would never have thought that their hearts were not in the right spot when they had just been spanked on, in a fanny pretty good and sent it to exile. When are your children, well, sorry, when are your children most obedient? right after they've been spanked. It's when they forget the spanking that they, they, lax, they lapse again into, into disobedience. So they're in exile. Are they fasting? Yes. But their hearts are not right, evidently. I don't want that to be me. I want to do it for the right reason. I want to have my heart. The idea of being content with your life. Exactly. Well, also, it's interesting that I feel like in both chapters 7 and 8, Zechariah, God's response through Zechariah yeah. is extremely similar to the message Yeshua delivers for Sheen, the Pharisees, because in both sections, basically he's saying, you're doing all this you're doing right. ritual stuff really well. Yeah, and, that, and that mint and cumin, that's yeah, cool too. The, the over-the-top stuff, you're yeah. doing just fine. Somehow you missed, you know, the, the, the basics. You missed justice and mercy and telling the truth and those types of things. Because Zachariah, when he comes back at them, he does ding them for why were they fasting, but he doesn't stop there and just spend the whole time talking about a good fast, which is what Isaiah does in another chapter. Yeah, Zachariah spends the whole time basically arguing the other part that Isaiah argues, which is um, social justice. How to treat the people around you, right. and it almost ignores the fast. Like, if you're doing the fast, but you're mistreating your brother, I could care less yeah, about the fast. Why are you fasting? I mean, yeah, that's good. Yeah, because the the good consistent the one consistent thing from seven and eight that both times it mentions is the devising evil in your heart. Yeah, that's you like the one trickster. Thing. You even uh, you could you could I guess say the false oath is also kind of consistent, but that one is like word for word in both chapters, which is really interesting. 
because mm. the second temple was destroyed for baseless for that hatred. Reason, yeah. hatred. Which mm. goes back to Leviticus, because in Leviticus, in the You Shall Love Your Neighbor as Yourself, it also says not to hate your brother in your heart. Right. So it ties into this too. Yeshua which has the, the same the message. Master comes back to exactly right. It's yeah. also in Proverbs about how bad yeah. that is. To you, on, the, on the old thing, you should check the Hebrew there, because your English may be twerking, but it may be the same in Hebrew. You don't need to check it out. The same. It's a bad habit to say, I see a, a thematic metaphor. You know what a thematic metaphor is? It's where you've got a phrase or a theme that is, or a metaphor that's being used thematically, it's being used throughout. And normally in NIV or some of the other not word for word or phrase for phrase translations, you lose the thematic metaphors. You can't see them because the, the English doesn't show them. But it's, it's always available. Yeah, it's always available in Hebrew. So I would always be careful if you're looking for parallels like that. The English ones, cool. You see them right away. Check the others because it may be that they're, all, they're there as well. All right, so I, I think we can get some good stuff out of there and, and, and probably do some life lessons for you know, maybe a year. <laughs> just consistently. Just, <laughs> no question about it. But I think it's probably at least a little bit more fun if we're going to look at the eight visions or the two oracles. But I don't, like I said, I just don't think we can tear them apart and do them justice. I mean, we walk through the three prophets a night there just trying to broad brush so we remember who they are and what they're all about. But I, I, I'd like to try and play it. So if we were going to do the eight visions, I think we'd pretty much be dividing that up into little scenes or vignettes and then looking for those scenes or vignettes in other books and then trying to put some placement, uh, see some time markers uh, and stuff like that. So that may be a, a nice, cool prophecy deal. On the other hand, the two oracles are pretty easily split. And we could choose one, knock it out, and do the similar kind of thing. Uh, that one is not as visionary as it is statements of what has happened or what will happen. And uh, we may end up with uh, an opportunity to spend just a little bit more time in the apostolic writings and, and look at Yeshua and his work, especially in the first oracle, in that, if you want to. And I think. It's been a while since we've done that. I know Joshua is uh, preparing a Beatitudes uh, look for us. So, I, if it were my vote, I'd vote for the two oracles and tear it up there, and at least at the first one, and, and see if we get time to do the second. I, I like that idea. You like that idea? Everybody, you like that idea? Visions are really cool, but they're really trippy. It's hard to get a lot I mean, to figure out what they're talking about. Yeah, I mean, unless, unless we're going to do you know, the bottle of wine before class, and then, you know, I, just get a little I bit. just want to know what he was drinking, because <laughs> <laughs> Good stuff. Night, you know, right. that and he brought it back <laughs> from Babylon. I'm looking for the yeah. vision stuff. That's what I want. I'm just trying to imagine right. what the day after that was like. Yeah. Eight visions I'm, in one night? It's like... Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, we see he gets he gets four messages. Probably only one message. We should probably have to say it four times for him to remember it. All right, so we'll take we'll take a look at the two oracles. I will post within the next day or so um, a breakdown of those into the two sections, and you'll focus on the first section. You got your homework. We can have some good discussion there, and uh, and I'm excited about that. I'm excited. Cool. So it's. Uh, I think uh, not only going to give us uh, a good little bit of insight there, but also give us an opportunity to talk about our master. Mm. And uh, we're probably not talking about him as much as we ought. And uh, I will try and post everything so that even our 
uh, our players in uh, distant lands like Gastonia um, have the opportunity to study along with us. Final comments, yes sir. One also thing about Zechariah, it's very interesting, especially if you look at the two oracles. Um, out of all of the prophets, he is one of the ones that really pushes the limit on, he's not about the divinity of Messiah, where does that come from? And is that just made up by Paul? And how do we, you know, what, what in the scriptures do we tie that back into, right? Yeah. Zechariah is one of those books that really, that really has a lot of allusions to that, that really pushes limits on how we imagine God, so to speak. Um, and in, in some of the prophetic, I mean, the, excuse me, the sages commentary on some of these things about, oh, this is God talking. Like I mentioned in, in the, one of the eight visions, it talks about the guy on the horse with the four chariots. Yeah. Well, one of the, I think, it, I, I can't remember if it's Rashi or it's one of the other ones. He says, the guy on the horse, that's God. And you're like, wait, the God is the guy on the horse? You know, so there's, there's a lot of interesting, as you're reading through this, kind of be looking for those because there's some very interesting allusions where you're like, Wait, so that's God talking, but yeah. but he's he's talking about himself, but almost like in the third person. That's which, which he's allowed to do because he's God. Yeah, but there's yeah, some I interesting do, things. Yeah, I do think that we should try and spend our time looking at what the sages said about this stuff, rather than looking at what the visible representation of the church says about this stuff. Because I already know what they say about it, and you know what? Let's look at the sages. We got some, <laughs> we got some good time to spend there. Um, I think it was a, a Barbanel that said uh, that the man that he saw at the beginning of the visions was Michael. Because Daniel used the same thing. I mm -hmm. saw a man on the other side of the river, and it was Michael and you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, there's some cool stuff going on. So we'll do, uh, we'll do the oracles. Um, I have one more thing I wanted to share with you. What? Oh, yeah. Um, we need to remember. Forget. <laughs> Speaking of his name, remember. Yeah, yeah, right. We need to remember. He didn't like this message. Mm -hmm. Overall, this message caused him to be killed. Actually, I'm going to ask that because I wasn't sure if it was this message or not. That well, I, I, this was his primary written-down message that was to to last, but I think his message in the middle there must have been repeated. Because mm -hmm. the sages talked, especially in Lamentations, about what his message was. And it was along the same stuff as mm -hmm. in the middle, in the, in the four messages. It's like, you just go through the motions. You just, you're doing it with, with the wrong motives. And your heart is wrong. Truth is really, really important. And, and that seemed to be, you know, the, you know, just don't want to hear this anymore. Just like a broken record. Turn it off the record. And it's a shame, but that seems to be a regular deal. It might be neat to look at the twelve, the twelve asar, the treasar, the twelve minor prophets, and figure out how many of them were killed, right? Because it was, it wasn't the best deal to get chosen to be a prophet. Mostly, so, I mean, well, I mean, I don't think Jeremiah and Isaiah had it all, all that great. Either. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Not, not times. Exactly right. All right. That was cool, not having to walk around with that big, uh, what do you call it? I can't. <laughs> All right. Also, just a quick question. Did yeah. you see any of the commentary if they specify who the, the two 
anointed people. I, I, oh, deli yeah, I deliberately did not try and dig that deep until I knew where we were going to be studying. Okay. But that, when listening. you talk about two people, it should immediately... Moses right? and Elijah. Right, yeah. Well, I don't know if it's Moses and Elijah. Oh. I would say it would bring us to the two people, uh, the two witnesses in Revelation. You need to question who those guys are. Are they Moses and Elijah? My, my, my current view, as Greg would say, is, yeah, I think they represent the law and the prophets. But there are many who would say it's Moses and uh, Enoch. Or Elijah. Or Elijah. Or Elijah. They Enoch. didn't die. Right. They, they never died. Of course, Moses, who died and was buried by God in a grave that nobody knows, was actually on the mountain with the master. So, hey. Someone's well, disputing over his body. Something's up with that guy. So we found Moses. I don't. I don't know what the what which, the deal which, is. It, uh, there's actually some interesting gematriote about that whole section of scripture and Mount Nebo and everything. Really? Definitely, that's a different class. But one parallel that just sort of struck me. We know Moshe was. I mean, Chazal say Moshe was Moshe. Right. Right. So we know he is like the quintessential prototype of Messiah. Absolutely, and and, and, and so the reference he, so he, in Deuteronomy makes that clear too. So we have that you know he's he goes up on the mountain, he dies. Hashem takes his body, buries it. Nobody ever knows where it is, and and the Satan is trying to, to get the body. Hmm. So. Another Moshe-like figure, right? Another redeemer. The Messiah shows up again, right? And what's one of the big controversies? Where's, where's the, the body? body? We got We have to know where the body is. Nobody, nobody knows where the body. That's kind of. I, I like I, that. That, that is that is good. All right. Other comments? Can you give us the back half of the inside cover of that, sir? <clears throat> Try and pluralize it. I thank you, Lord, and I, our God, that you have uh, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you have not established our portion with idlers. For when we arise early, and they arise early, we arise early for the words of Torah, and they arise early for idle words. We toil, and they toil. We toil and receive reward, and they toil and do not receive reward. We run, and they run. We run to the light of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction, as it is written. And you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction, and of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for us, we will trust in you. Amen. Amen.